0: All right. You guys ready for Revelation? Yeah. I'm not. So open your Bibles. <laughs> Book of Revelation. Revelations. Hey, Matt Matt Baird has a um merch table out front. So buy a t-shirt and then for you bodybuilder types that don't eat donuts, get out your wallet. And make a donation to the youth group. It goes to a good cause. Or give your donut to me. I'll eat it for you. So as we've been praying about what to do last week, you guys know that we um, finished the New Testament, right? And so I was going to start a new book this week, a new series. And I've been praying and asking God where to go in this new series. And I felt like God was telling me Revelation. And so then I talked to the Holy Spirit, Lydia. And... (laughs) she said, you're, you're, you should probably do a gospel. I was kind of feeling gospel too. And then I talked to a couple other people and I kept praying and God kept putting on my heart revelation, revelation. So I said, okay, but I got to tell the Holy Spirit that it's revelation, you know, and how am I going to do that? And so, well, Lydia and I finally talked and uh, she let me listen to the other Holy Spirit in my life. And so here we are in revelation. The last time we went through the new Testament, all 27 books in this church, we did revelation, um, fairly early in that study as well. And I can remember there was a group of men um, and and we were doing that, that discipleship class with the bin here. And, and one of the guys in particular, I remember, I won't call him out by name. And I was telling the men, I was going to go to the book of revelation. we were a brand new church plant, man. We were pretty fresh and, and, and pretty new into our study. And he was upset. Like, that's not wise. Nobody's ready for that book. That book is so hard to understand and, and on and on. And, And he was right, you know, but that's how I knew the Holy Spirit was telling me to do it because we weren't ready for it. And um, God wanted us to do it. And there was a reason why God wanted us to be in the book of Revelation. And there is a reason for believers and for us to not be afraid of the book of Revelation. John Corson is one of the Calvary pastors who um, who I read his commentaries and I use his stuff. And so don't listen to his messages because you've already heard him here on Sunday mornings because I just I just preach his message. But, you know, if you steal from one guy... That's plagiarism. But if you steal from 12 or 15 different pastors, that's research. So I do a lot of research before I study. But John Corson does on his Revelation series, Ben um, interviewed him recently. And uh, Ben said, how many times have you taught through the entire Bible? And he said probably three times in, in, in in his career through the entire Bible. He said, but there's been certain books over the years that I've done quite a bit. And one of those being the book of Revelation. And so, um, but he does a a little like, um, thing that he teaches the church. And so it'll take us more than a week to do it. But as we go through this, I want to, um, you guys to learn. And it starts really simply that the book of revelation is not a hard book to understand. Okay. Say that with me. The book of revelation is not a hard book to understand. How many of you guys raise your hand if you've studied through the book of revelation? Okay, good. How many of you guys never have studied through the book of Revelation? We got some. Awesome. How many of you guys studied through the book of Revelation with us here here at Joshua Springs? Or not in Joshua Springs, huh? <laughs> Close enough. I got one word right. I got the Tooele part right. No, I didn't. I got the Springs part right. Just making sure you guys are on your toes. You guys seem like you're a little asleep this morning. I'm not sure how to approach this because I want to keep you fired up. Your clap was like... "Eh." It's Father's Day. You guys should get to relax. So we'll try to keep it short and get you guys out of here on time. Hey, I want to go over just the overview of the book of Revelation. Look at verse number 19. We're going to start there. We're going to do a little bouncing around as we get into it. But the book of Revelation is not hard to understand. It's the only book in the Bible that comes with its own divine outline. Everybody say divine outline. Okay. So we're going to see that in chapter um, 1, verse number 19. And it says write the things which you have seen look at your neighbor and say have seen that means the past and the things which are that means the okay say say look at your neighbor and say which are and the things which will take place after this the greek word metatauta that i want you to get familiar with spell that the best you can write that in your margin here in chapter 4 verse 1 metatauta so the things that are the things are the things that were the things that are and the things that are to come so again, the book of Revelation is not a hard book to understand. It's the only book that comes with its own divine outline. So the things in uh, verse 19 that you have seen, that's chapter... You guys will fill in the blanks here. That's chapter 1. The things that are, that's chapters 2 and 3. Okay, so the things that have been is chapter... The things that are is chapters... And the things that are to come are chapters 4 through 22. Okay, one, two and three, four to twenty two. Write the things that you that have seen. Those are chapters. The things that are, those are chapters. The things that will be, those are four to twenty two. So the things um, that are past, present and future, an easy breakdown. So chapter one is the introduction to the book and where John is and his calling and who Jesus is. Chapter two is where you and I live right now. We're people of the toes if we're in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel's statue. We're people of Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, the church, what we call the church age. The church age began at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given and the church was born. And we will live in the church age until the rapture of the church. And then at the rapture of the church, we will begin a seven-year tribulation period. That seven-year tribulation period, at the end of it, culminates with a battle of Armageddon. At the Battle of Armageddon, Jesus comes on a white horse and we come with him. And then after he conquers Antichrist and, and the armies of Antichrist, he throws Satan and the false prophet into the bottomless pit where they're chained up for a thousand years where we will rule and reign with Christ in, in what's called the millennial reign. At the end of the thousand years, Satan is released one last time and he causes one more rebellion and somehow people will follow him after he's been chained up for a thousand years And Christ has ruled and reigned on the earth in perfect peace for a thousand years. And then um, at the end of the thousand years, Revelation 21 and 22, God says He will bring a new heaven and a new earth. And so old things will pass away. This earth that we're on now is going to get a makeover to go into the thousand year reign. And streams will flow in the deserts. And things will be fixed. Guess what there will not be for the thousand year reign of Christ? Mosquitoes? And tomatoes, because those things are of the devil, and God will not allow those things to, to be in the thousand-year reign. So, hey, let's take a really quick look. Chapter 1, things that are right now. Chapters 2 and 3, the, the letters to the church. Turn to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1, This is. it starts with after these things. So that's where we begin that third Um, breakdown or outline in the book of Revelation. Chapter 1 is past. Chapter 2 and 3 is where we are present. Chapter 4 begins the third part or the future, and it says after these things. After what things? After the church age. Very good. And so that, that Greek word there is also metatauta, and so that's where the rapture of the church happens, at the end of the church age. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 11, verse 25. A lot of people don't recognize this. I think we, we know it, but we don't recognize it necessarily as a rapture verse, but it is a rapture verse. Romans eleven twenty five says, for I do not desire brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So blindness has happened to Israel until a point in history When, when what, what does it say in Romans 11? The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What happens when the bride of Christ, you know, the Gentiles make up the bride of Christ. Now the the bride of Christ is made up of Jew, Gentile and every race, but this is the Gentile age or the church age that we're in. And when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, guess what's going to happen? The church is going to be raptured. And so this is a rapture verse, a rapture place. And when the, when the church is raptured, look at the next verse. What does it say? It says, um, and so all of Israel will be saved. And so at that point, God is going to turn his time clock back to Israel, and he's going to begin to focus on Israel. So the, the church age will end with a rapture. The bride of Christ will be taken to heaven. will be stowed away in heaven for seven years. Go back to Revelation. And it says um, in, in chapter 5, we have a scene in heaven. Four and five both take place in heaven. And so um, the church is caught up and we're there. And look at this song in, in chapter uh, 5 in verse number 8. Hey, let's stand together. Get your Bibles on your lap. This is a little church tradition we don't do very often, but on a day like today when you guys are asleep, i got to keep you awake. I'll keep picking. I'll quit picking on you. But um, let's read it together. I'm going to read verses nine and ten. And we're going to skip the the little first part there. you ready. You are worthy. No, let's let's read it all together. Ready on three. One, two, three. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Okay, so you may be seated. So here in this song, only one group of people that are now in heaven can sing this song. What group of people has been redeemed to God by the blood of Jesus Christ? Only the church. Only you and I can say that we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ And are there. So this group that's in heaven is the Gentile church. It's the bride of Christ. It's everybody who got saved from the day of Pentecost to the rapture. When the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, then then God comes for the rapture. You know, we used to tease and say that there's a number that God is waiting for, for the rapture to happen. And why is God so um, long suffering? And why hasn't he come already and put a stop to this evil and dealt with these things? Well, the long-suffering of God is in mercy and grace and He's waiting for people to get saved. And He has somewhere, He has a number. There's there's somebody out there that is the last person who's going to get saved and when that last person gets saved, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Maybe that last person who's needing to give their life to Christ is you and you're holding all of us from going up in the rapture. And so just get saved, man, and ask Jesus in your heart and then we can all go up. But there is a, a, a number that God is waiting on, a group of people. And because of his long suffering, now, I, I'm ready today for Jesus to come back. I'm, I'm ready for the return of my Lord. You know, as, as this world just gets darker and darker and, 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 and more difficult and more difficult and watching the, the future and worrying about my kids, I'm like, Jesus, I'm ready for you to come and set it straight. But I have to be honest, if, if, if Jesus had come in 1992 or 1993, I, I wouldn't have been ready. I didn't get saved until 1994, so I want him to come today, but I'm super thankful that he didn't come in 1993. And and maybe there's somebody today who's not saved that's going to get saved, and then they're going to be really thankful that Jesus didn't come back November 2nd of this year. Last year? Okay, November 2nd of last year. Turn turn the page, if you will, as we go through. Chapter 6 begins... Um, with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Look at your neighbor and say, ooh. Okay, the four horsemen of the apocalypse is something that I say often because um, people have heard that term, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And so the four horsemen of the apocalypse are actually what the book of Revelation is surrounded by, is sealed the, the judgments of God. And so the, 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 the church is taken up. God is going to focus again on the nation of Israel. One of the things that you find in, as you study through the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation, and as you go through this, and you know, and, and myself, as I struggled um, kind of coming out of, of Calvary Chapel and planning this church and wanting to get to a place where I had uh, an eschatology that was my own. And, and I had, growing up in Calvary, an eschatology that was my pastor's. And, and so I, I, I believed in the pre-tribulation rapture and, and a lot of those things, but I needed to know for myself and so I began to do the homework and begin to study. And, and I couldn't, when I, when I had to teach this stuff, it was different because I couldn't teach something that wasn't really in my heart. I couldn't teach it because Pastor Gerald believed it or because my pastors or Bible school teachers believed it. I had to be able to teach it because I believe it. And one of the things, and there's tons of, of, of different um, um, uh, material and information, but one of the things for me that helped solidify that it only makes sense for the church to go up before the seven years is what you find is that the book of Revelation and the seven-year tribulation period is about the nation of Israel. Everything in it is Jewish. Everything in Matthew 24 that that warns us of what's going to happen in the seven years is Jewish. It says, pray that your flight wouldn't be on the Sabbath. How many of you guys, if if you had to go somewhere on the Sabbath, would affect you? None of you, because you're not Jewish. On and on, it says your housetops and everything through the book of Revelation and through the seven-year tribulation period has to do with Israel. It's 144,000 Jews from 12 tribes of Israel, not from Tuile, Utah, not from Japan, not from other places. It's about Israel and that it's not about the church. And it's actually arrogant. You know, those that believe in a mid or a a late trib rapture theory, one of the things they say about us pre-trib guys is that, oh, you guys are just escapists. You're afraid or you, you know, you're kind of of Nordstrom's Christian and you're just afraid to go through trials and tribulations. And that's why, you know, you want to believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. No, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture because that's what the Bible teaches, because that's just simple. But I will tell you, if you want to uh, accuse me of being an escapist, I'm two hands guilty because Jesus said, pray that you would escape these things that's going to come to pass. And so if I'm doing what Jesus said, I'm praying that I would escape these things. And when you read Revelation when we get into chapter 6 through 19, now I I told you a lot, but I want you to make a distinction um, about the the last part of that prophecy of the the past, present, and future, that 6 through 19 is a chronological order of the seven-year tribulation period with two exceptions. Chapter 7 and 13 are pullouts. They don't fit chronologically, but it does lay out. And it's surrounded by 21 different judgments that God is going to pour out from heaven upon the earth that are, that are calamities. they are pestilence and earthquakes and sores and demons and fires and waters turning to blood. And every one of them is different. And the seven um, seven, and seven, the first one is the seal judgments. And then the, and then the bowl judgments. And then the trumpet judgments. And the seventh and the first, they go together and they overlap. And the seventh is the first. And you'll see that in each of those as we go through these three successive um, seven judgments that God pours out on the world. And so through the 21 judgments, we're going to see um, the entire world is going to be destroyed. After the first, the four horsemen of the apocalypse ride in chapter 6, um, just the first four judgments, the seals are open. A third of the world's population is done. Now, one of the um, other ideas of where the rapture happens is, um, something that we all have to wrestle with regardless of where we put our rapture theory. But there's one thing you have to be clear about in the Bible, again, no matter where you land. And the Bible's pretty clear that we will not be appointed to wrath, that God has not appointed you to wrath. It says that plain as day in Thessalonians. You have not been appointed to wrath. So if, if you want to put the, 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 the rapture in the middle of the tribulation period, you have to deal with the wrath of God that's being poured out. So you have to come up with a couple things. Maybe the Christians are put in some kind of bubble like some dome, like the Iron Dome in Israel that just protects us from the demons and the boils and the hail and the blood turning the water and the earthquakes and the fires and the volcanoes and um, and all of these things. I, I But the Bible doesn't say anything about a bubble. So you just have to make that up. Um, so there's a new theory called the pre-wrath theory to deal with that where um, the, the, the church goes into the tribulation and tell the wrath and then they're taken up before the wrath, pre-wrath. But... The wrath happens right in the beginning. And this is chronological. Chapter 6 begins the seven years. Now, lots of things are going to happen proceeding up to it. Now, today, you guys, I'm just kind of giving you an intro. I'm just kind of talking in, in general biblical prophecy. Some of this might be foreign to you, some of it not. I'm hoping to keep it pretty simple. But one of the questions we get is that how, what will mark the seven-year tribulation period? And one of the things that's yet future is a battle called um, the Gog and Magog invasion. Where is that found in the Bible? And Ezekiel where? 37 and 38. That's yet future. Ten nations will come against Israel. So when you open your paper and you see that Iran, and they're listed by name. Two of the big names are Iran and Russia. And right now, Iran and Russia are major enemies of Israel. And for the first time in human history, those two countries are combining and they're friends and they're doing operations in the sea and military operations together at some point. These two nations and ten other nations will attack Israel, as it says in Ezekiel 37 and 38. Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel prophesied that Israel would be reborn as a nation. That happened before our very eyes. May 14, 1948... The UN unanimously decided with the United States as the first vote to to give Israel back to their holy land after Hitler killed six million Jews. And for the first time in 1900 years, the Jews came from all over the world and they began Aliyah returning to their homeland in miraculous, in a very miracle. Now, Satan hates the Jews and the reason why he hates the Jewish people. Now, they're the only people on planet Earth that from Adam and Eve to today have been multiple attempts of genocide on their race just because of their race. It's demonic in nature and it's satanic. It has nothing to do with anything else. And people that don't understand this will say things like, oh, well, the Jews are greedy and they own everything and they're this, and they have all these things, the reasons why they think that, 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 that Hitler wanted to kill them, that Naaman wanted to kill them, that on and on and on. But the bottom line is, In order for the Bible to be true, the Jew has to exist. In order for the Bible to be true, there has to be an Israel and and a people in their homeland. And Satan knows that, and so he's tried to destroy the Jews. And everything to do with biblical prophecy, I'll tell you again, I'll give you a little hint, it has to do with Israel. The key to biblical prophecy is Israel, and the key to Israel is Jerusalem, and the key to Jerusalem is the Temple Mount. And so that is the, the dot on planet earth that prophecy is surrounded around. And so there's been this attack on the Jews. Well, we have the, the nation of Israel who, again, no, no people group has ever done this. There's been thousands of people groups over human history that are no longer. Have you met an Amalekite lately? Have you met a Philistine lately? A Canaanite? Uh, an Aztec? I mean, the, the civilizations come and go, but the Jews, with no homeland, scattered all over the world, in AD 70, Titus Vespasian came into Israel, the Roman emperor, and he completely sacked Jerusalem, the temple, and, and most of the Jews were dispersed as they, as they conquered all of Israel. There was a small group of Jews that were held out in a place in Israel called Masada. They made it there until about the year 130, and in a three-year siege, they, the Romans destroyed Masada, and that was the last remaining faction of Jews in the Holy Land in Israel. And they all committed suicide on top of Masada rather than be tortured by the Roman soldiers and from so from 130 to 1948 the jews are scattered all over the world and somehow they remain their culture stays the same their language stays the same their heritage stays the same their religion stays the same they don't acclimate or and they stay who they are by the will and the power of god as he preserves this piece of the puzzle that he needs for biblical prophecy and for you know his son He sent his son to the Jewish people, and so they're returning. Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, so now they're back in the land, 36, 37, and 38, there's going to be this war. Now, people say, when will this war happen? Before the rapture or after the rapture? And that's a good question. I think the best Bible scholars that I've studied all will say they don't know. It could happen simultaneously. It could happen before. It could happen right after. But I will tell you that the Bible does mark the seven year period. And once we get in to Revelation 6 through 19 that that details this seven years of what's going to happen on planet earth in the book of Revelation, um, it's all timed at the three and a half year mark. So on the day of three and a half years, the Antichrist will commit the abomination of desolation. He will go into the rebuilt Jewish temple and he will declare himself as God and the Jews will realize they've been stooped at that point and they'll flee. Possibly to Amman, Jordan, to a city called Petra, where there's a Sikh. It's, it's a rock city with one entrance in, and then it opens up huge that will hold millions of people, and God is going to supernaturally provide for them there, the Bible says. And so it, it's all timed in that. But I will tell you that the timing, the biblical timing for the beginning of the seven years is Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Anybody want to take a wild stab at what Daniel nine twenty five has to do with The Antichrist is going to sign a peace treaty with Israel that's going to last for seven years. And the Bible says that 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 will mark the seven-year tribulation period, that treaty. So that will be the time frame that God's going to use, is the signing of the seven-year peace treaty with Israel. Amen? So the four horsemen of the apocalypse, chapter 6, the first one is the Antichrist. And then he comes on, these things happen, chapter 7, 144,000 evangelists, witness come on the scene. Um, Chapter 7 um, begins the trumpet judgments, and so we had the seal judgments, and now the trumpet judgments, the 7th and the 1st are kind of one, they kind of go together, and so again, these trumpet judgments will go through them, they get a little ominous, we'll try to figure out what John is trying to describe the best we can, a lot of it doesn't really matter because we won't be here, we'll be gone in the rapture. Um, in chapter 11, we have the two witnesses of the book of revelation. And what this is, is God's going to bring two people back from the old Testament. They're going to stand in front of the the rebuilt Jewish temple. They're going to do the signs and wonders they did in the old Testament. I believe that these two witnesses are Moses and Elijah. Some people think uh, Elijah and Enoch. Elijah, nobody really argues about because Jesus said pretty plainly that one of them will be Elijah who the second one will be. Um, Could be anybody, but um, believe it's Elijah. And the reason why I believe it's Moses and Elijah is because you'll have to wait till you get to chapter 11 to find that out. And I'll tell you why it's not Enoch, but Enoch makes a pretty good case, too. Um, uh, Elijah and Enoch are the only two people that never died. And and, and these two uh, witnesses are going to die. Their dead bodies are going to lay in the streets for three days it 's going to be on every news channel in the world. It says that the world is going to be celebrating the death of E, but before their death they they're 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 causing um, no rain and they're bringing biblical style plagues upon the 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 world and, and so when they die it's this big victory and for three days, their dead bodies will lie in the streets and on the third day in front of the whole world, God will raise them up again and so in chapter twelve, we begin the woman who rides the beast. Carried into thirteen, um, the woman who rides the beast is this false religious system that will be set up under Antichrist. So the um, the woman who rides the beast. In chapter um, thirteen, we get the infamous look at verse chapter thirteen, um, verse seventeen or verse sixteen, the mark of the beast, and it says, "He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave." to receive a mark on their right hand and their foreheads and that no one may buy or sell say buy or sell, buy or sell. except one who has the mark of the be- and that has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name here is wisdom let him who understands calculate the number of the beast for it is a number of a man his number is 666 so that's something again that we talk about we hear a lot the mark of the beast and so, again, these things are coming to pass before our eyes, again, in our lifetimes, because um, in in days past, h- how would you implement where everybody had to have a mark of a beast or some kind of mark on their forehead or their hand to, to buy or sell? It wouldn't make sense. You know, in 1800, you traded wheat for, for butter and butter for eggs with your neighbor, and you pound of flour and bread, and you, you know... How are you going to keep me from, from buying and selling? And nowadays, it's very obvious, right, that everything's electronic and, and how it will work. I just put everything on a little barcode on your tattoo on your forehead or on your hand. And if you walk into Walmart and you got somebody else's hand going over the scanner, it'll it'll throw up some red flags, you know, it'll make a lot of sense. But I want to tell you something about the Mark of the Beast. The Mark of the Beast... As we'll read here, as we'll study when we get to it, I'm just kind of breezing through some of this stuff to give you an overview because I don't want you to be afraid of the book of Revelation. I want you to understand the book of Revelation is not a hard book to understand when you just take it in this, these chunks. Chapter 1, the things of the past. Chapters 2 and 3, the things of today. Chapters 4 through 22, the things of the future. Chapters 6 through 19, the seven-year detailed the seven-year tribulation period. Chapter 20, the thousand year reign of Christ, 21 and 22, the new heaven and the new earth. You take it in those chunks, you learn that little phrase right there. And then as you get into the details of it, it'll all make so much more sense. But with the mark of the beast, you know, I'm not quite that old, maybe, but I kind of remember, um, you know how the church reacted when credit cards first became a thing because of this? People are like, well, we can't as Christians. Should we get those things? Those are like the mark of the beast. And, you know, and on and on and on with all of this, you know, fear, the vaccine. I've heard Christians say that the the coronavirus vaccine is the mark of the beast. And if you get it, you'll go to hell. (laughs) Nonsense. Let me tell you something about the mark of the beast. I've heard people say this. Oh, well, if if it comes to it, you know, I can't provide for my family, then you know, I don't want it, but I'll have to get it so that I can buy and sell, and I have got to be a provider. And but it's just there's no concept of really number one, what's going on when this is happening, where the world is. It's not like oh, I'll just get the mark of the beast so I can provide for my family, so I can go work my nine to five at the at the In and Out Burger and make my money. That I mean, the a third of the world's population has been destroyed. Like it's it's complete chaos over the whole world, but the mark of the beast. Is a willful submission and worship of Satan. So nobody's going to get it on accident. You don't have to worry about getting a shot or getting some technology or getting a barcode tattoo. The other thing was chipping. We're not. We are chipping humans now. But again, when they started putting those chips in animals, and they have things where now they'll put IFD chips in in humans, and they and coincidentally enough, they put them in your right hand, and that IFD chip can be scanned and has all your information and. Um, you know, we can't get those. That's the mark of the beast. Now now listen, all of those things, starting with credit cards to now the chips in the hands that, that we're doing, all of those things can be the technology that we never had before that now makes these things very possible to unfold very quickly as the book of Revelation happens. But none of them are the mark of the beast. So listen, as a Christian, number one, you will not be here anyways. You're going to go up before all this starts. So don't worry about any of it. Just the only thing you got to worry about is if you're not a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Then you then worry, okay? Because y- if you are, you're not appointed to wrath. If you're a child of God, you'll go up in the rapture. And as you go up, you're going to miss all these things anyways. But just like you'll make a commitment today or in your life, you made a commitment at some point to become a Christ follower and give your life to Jesus, that's what this, the mark of the beast is. It's a willful submission and um, obedience and, and basically asking Satan into your heart when you receive the mark of the beast. One of the reasons why that's true. Is because anyone who receives the mark of the beast. The Bible says. Will go to hell. So you can receive the mark of the beast. And the next day. All the repentance. And all the asking for forgiveness. You're done. There's no there's no turning back. That is the unpardonable sin. In the book of Revelation. Because anybody who receives the mark. 100% of them go to hell. Um, in chapter 40, uh, 14. We have. The 144,000 proclaiming the gospel. The angels um, flying through the sky. Chapter 15 begins the last set of of judgments. Chapter 16 begins the bowl judgments. You want some scary reading this afternoon just for fun? Yes, for fun like Nacho Libre? Read chapter 16 when you get home today. Man, nuts. It ends with 80-pound hailstones falling on, on people. I don't care where you're hiding and what kind of house you're hiding in, unless it's solid brick like 10 feet thick or you're in some bunker under the ground, 80-pound hailstones, they're going to find you. But it gets pretty, pretty bad at that point in the tribulation. And and again, now um, another third of the world's population is, is dying. At this point in the tribulation period, there's no more fresh water on planet Earth. There's boils and, and sores on your skin that are so loathsome that it 's in complete pain, and you can 't even take a shower you don 't even have that pleasure because all the rivers have been turned to blood, all the water sources have been turned to blood, the entire ocean has been turned to blood, and everything that 's in the water is dead in the fresh and the sea water and imagine what the planet smells like just with that going on. Forget the smell and these things it's a pretty pretty dark scene here in chapter sixteen in chapter seventeen and eighteen. The the Babylonian system is destroyed by Jesus finally and and exacting revenge. What is this Babylonian system? What is the great Babylon, that harlot that gets destroyed in 17 and 18? It's the one world religion. It's this false religion that started, um, and I've taught you guys this a hundred times, right? So that religion of Satan started in Genesis chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel. And Nimrod was the first who organized religion, the first organized religion in the world. You know, you guys ever have people tell you, oh, I hate organized religion. You know, as a Christian, what you should tell them when they say that? Really, me too. I hate organized religion. Organized religion is the enemy of the gospel. It started in Genesis chapter 11. And since Genesis chapter 11, Satan has been adding more and more lanes to his broadway. Because Jesus said narrow is the way that leads to salvation and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And so since Genesis chapter 11 and Imrod and the Tower of Babel, you remember the results of the Tower of Babel? Just like today, because the people were, were coming together and they were so smart and technology was advancing so fast in their days, the, the, the Bible says there was no end to what they would accomplish. And so as a result, to slow them down, what did God do? He confused their languages. It's possible and something to look into, but the drift theory is very possible at that point in history. I don't think that it's, it's not um, an anti-Bible thing. that you can you find is that the, the continents do kind of all fit together in this puzzle. And, and, and that maybe at that time as God spread the people out and split the languages, maybe there was a little continental drift that happened that spread the people all over the world in all the different languages that they speak. But guess what modern technology has done since Genesis chapter 11? It's brought Tower of Babel back together. Now, nowadays in the UN and all over the world in any kind of setting, you sit in a room like this and everybody speaks 40 different languages. And every person in the room has a microphone and a headset. And you speak your language and you hear your language regardless what everybody else is speaking at the same time. One could be speaking Japanese, Chinese, Russian, German, and and you're only hearing all those different languages in English. And when you speak, they're hearing in their own languages. And so technology has brought it all back together that it's not slowing anybody down anymore. And, and, and so that entire system, that Babylonian system, you know, we used to try to identify because the Bible says it's the woman who rides the beast. Any old school Calvary guys here, if there is, you, you read a book like in the 80s with me called, called The Woman Who Rides the Beast by Dave Hunt. And Dave Hunt was like a, like a big Calvary guy. And basically in his book, he's trying to identify what is this religious system that the Antichrist is going to use and what will be the prevailing religious system in the tribulation period and when they finally accomplish this one world religion. And at the time, really the, the one that was the most powerful and the largest in the world was the, was the Roman Catholic Church. And at that point, the Roman Catholic Church, if it were a country in the world, it would be like the, the third largest, richest country in the world, the Catholic Church, or Roman Catholic Church. And so he makes a pretty good case. But now 30 years later... You, you, you know, you're looking at the geopolitical landscape and that's not exactly the one that makes sense. Me personally, I kind of believe that this religious system is just going to include everybody and it's going to be like that coexist idea, right? And then, and then that the antichrist, and the false prophet are not going to key on one of the religions that we follow today, but they're going to have something that encompasses everybody, and everybody who's left in the rapture will fit into this Babylonian system because again, in order to be on Satan's road, you don't have, all you have to be is any, in any lane on the broad road. You just have to stay off the narrow road. And so Satan just continues to add lanes to his highway of destruction. Well, finally, this is going to come to an end. It's a religious system. But, but as you read this, you'll find it's also a physical location. Babylon is an actual city. The ancient Babylon that, that all of this is modeled after, that was built by um, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's dad and, and, and the Babylonian. And that Nebuchadnezzar then made one of the greatest cities in all of world history and all of antiquities. What the Babylonians accomplished probably makes them one of the greatest cities in human history. With the hanging gardens and the walls and the river running through the city and um, on and on and on and on in Babylon without having time to get into it. But but so that's ancient Babylon. Does anybody know where it exists? It exists in Iraq today, in modern-day Iraq. Actually, the area where ancient Babylon was, um, Saddam Hussein used to believe that he was Nebuchadnezzar reborn. He had this weird idea of that he was the modern-day Nebuchadnezzar. And so as a result, he actually had poured a bunch of money and time into preserving the actual location where ancient Babylon sat, And and with the hopes of rebuilding his Nebuchadnezzar, ancient Babylon city one day. Now that may or may never happen, but I'll tell you it has already happened in the world, just not in Iraq. It's happened in the UAE in a city called Dubai. And and that is the, the financial mecca of the world right now. You know, again, 30 years ago as we're looking at these prophecies and where will be the physical city, because Antichrist will set up somewhere. Antichrist will set up his political and his, and his reign and his rule and his financial um, headquarters, some physical place on planet Earth. And it will be destroyed, and it will have to have ports and waters because part of what's going to happen here is, is it says the merchant ships will look from in. So there's all these merchant ships that are parked close enough to see the destruction of this city called Babylon that's going to be destroyed in Revelation. I personally, you know, we used to think New York. And New York has all those factors, and it's the financial hub, the World Trade Towers, the financial um, sector of the world. Everything is there in New York, and it made a lot of sense, actually. Now Dubai makes New York look like a dump. Dubai is spread out. Transportation is great. There's ports on every side. There's oceans all around it. It's it's clean. It's safe. No crime in Dubai. Because they'll chop your hand off if you steal something so you don't mess around chapter 19, have I bored you guys to death yet? Okay, chapter 19 is the famous second coming of Christ. And how does Christ's second coming actually take place? It takes place in a thing that we call the battle of Armageddon. Armageddon, right? Everybody wants to make this Armageddon idea of what it's going to be like. And every one of them in Hollywood is so off of actually what it is. But the Bible says that, that the rivers of, of the Euphrates and of these great rivers will dry up that will make the way for the kings of the east to join the 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 Antichrist army in the Megiddo Valley. It's a place in Israel, the Jezreel Valley. And we go there. Lots of history where Solomon was, where parts of where King David was, um, where Joshua was. And so you go there and there's a high mountain near there, an Israel high mountain, not like here. And then you overlook this valley. And every, all the way from Africa, there's, there's valleys that lead right to this place. Napoleon was there, and, and he said all the armies of the world would fit in this valley, not knowing that he was prophesying out of Revelation. But it'll be in that place where, where, where God will gather all the, the physical armies that are left of Antichrist in a battle. And they will come in battle array, and, and Jesus and, and you and I will appear, will come In the battle of Armageddon, Jesus on a white horse, and the Bible says we'll be on white horses, arrayed in white robes, and we'll be behind him. So here's the key. If you're at the battle of Armageddon, and you're looking at Jesus' face, how do I say this in church? Okay, thank you. Um, You're in bad shape. You put your head between your legs, and you kiss your butt goodbye. If you're looking at Jesus' back, you're in good shape. Because then you're on a white horse, you're following him in the battle of Armageddon. You know, people want to make Satan and Jesus, and especially here where we live, it's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine, so I harp on this a little bit, but they want to make Jesus and Satan arch enemies and like rivals where they battle and they, they lock horns like, like two sheep. No. Oh, no. One is a peon and an ant, and one is the creator of, a, of, of the heaven and the earth and all that's in it. You know, how many of you guys have locked horns with like a cockroach before? Maybe some of you girls that were running from it, but, you know, like it's not a battle, right? If it's you and a cockroach and the cockroach is standing still, it's not much of a battle. You step on it, it's over, right? When Jesus fights Satan, I just want you to understand, it's not a battle. God, there's no, there's no, Satan has no power when it comes to Jesus. The Bible says he's not even going to get off his horse. You know, he's going to with the word of his mouth. He's going to open his mouth. I don't know. I kind of think maybe he should do the uh, I dream a genie thing and maybe just go. And then it's all over, you know, and and that's it. That's the battle of Armageddon. Jesus is going to go. And then they're all going to die. The blood is going to rise to the horse's bridle. It says the birds of the air are going to be circling here in Revelation chapter 19. They're going to eat the flesh. And then chapter um, 20 is the thousand year reign of Christ. 21 and 22 um, talks about a new heaven and a new earth, okay? Ready for a quick recap? I need you guys to be awake for this part. You're falling asleep. It's Father's Day, okay? Chapter 1, the things that were. Chapters 2 and 3, the things that are. Chapters 4 through 22, the things that are to come. Okay, chapters 4 and 5 is a scene that takes place in heaven. Chapter 6 through 19 details the seven-year tribulation period and during that seven-year tribulation god is going to pour out his wrath on a christ-rejecting world and he's going to bring the jewish people back to himself and all of israel is going to be saved chapters 20 is the millennial reign of christ and 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 what that is and the details of that we'll get into when we get to 20 and we'll, we'll try to answer the questions of how that happens and who goes in and who were ruling and reigning over, and all of those things that come up. We get one chapter to try to figure it out, and some places in Isaiah that talks about it. Revelation 21 and 22 is about a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, we got it? Okay, all right, let's look at the first. Maybe we can cover just a few verses, and then we're going to ask Matt to close us in a song here in about five minutes. Um, let's look at uh, verse number one. Now, I lied. Let's not. Two, two things I thought this was kind of cool. Again, tons of research when, you, when you're teaching Revelation, and some of it is just information. And, and I don't want to bore you with information. And I do want to say as we get into this that my, my vision in anything that I teach in the Word of God is to show you Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. You know, I, I, want to, I pray. My, my number one prayer that I pray to myself and for myself in the morning when I preach is I always ask God the same thing every time. I say, God, help me show them Jesus. God, help me show them Jesus. And that's... Always my vision and always my goal. I want you to see Jesus. And no better place than the book of Revelation to see Jesus. The book of Revelation, because people believe it's a hard book to understand, when actually in reality the book of Revelation is not a hard book to understand. Matter of fact, it's the only one in the Bible that comes with its own divine outline. And and so again, um, we we don't want to be afraid of it. And we don't want to come at it like, oh, we can never understand. Yeah, there's going to be some confusing things. It doesn't mean we're going to completely figure out everything in detail. But as a whole, is it one of the 66 books in our Bible? You guys aren't sure? Yeah. Is it one of the 66 books in our Bible? Yeah. Should we be afraid of any of the 66 books in our Bible God gave us? No. And there's value in it, and especially this, because this book, if, I, if my passion is to show you Jesus, there's no better place than the book of Revelation to show you Jesus, because it's all about Jesus. Jesus is given 35 different names just in the book of Revelation. Some of them you've heard, maybe some of them maybe knew. He's called Jesus Christ. He's called the faithful witness, the first to rise from the dead, the commander of all the rulers of the world, the ruler over kings, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the one who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty One, the Son of Man, the first and the last, whose eyes are bright like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze, The one who is holy and true, the one who has the sevenfold spirits of God and the seven stars, the one who has the key to David, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the heir of David, the lamb, 28 different times, the lamb who has been slain, sovereign, Lord, holy and true. Lord God Almighty, King of the nations, faithful and true, the Word of God, King of kings, Lord of lords, the bright and morning star. Do you know of all of those names of Jesus, the one that He picks of Himself in the book of Revelation more than any other name is the Lamb of God. I mean, if that was me and I had the option, hands down, I want to be called the King of kings and the Lord of lords through this book because that's how He's going to come at the Battle of Armageddon. On his vestibule and written on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. But yet he chooses for himself the Lamb of God who was slain. The way that John the Baptist introduced Jesus the first time that the revelator John here met him. Now, in the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. So our, our Bible is bookended, Genesis to Revelation. The book of Revelation is the end. Or, 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 you know, because it's the end, what I like about Revelation is it's not so much the end, but it's a new beginning. And, and, and death for the Christian is not the end. Death for the Christian is a new beginning. And Revelation is is an end to certain things. But it's a new beginning for believers. In the book of Genesis, the tree of life is guarded by an angel and taken off of planet earth. In the book of Revelation, the tree of life comes back and you and I are given access to it. In the book of Genesis, the, the title deed to planet earth is forfeited over to Satan. In the book of Revelation, the title deed to earth is uh, redeemed again back to God. And this world is is again in God's control. Because as you know, the world that we live in today is under Satan's control. And the deed to planet Earth belongs to Satan. In the book of Revelation, Satan is warned that, that God's going to crush his head with his heel. In the book of Revelation, Satan is crushed by the heel of God and by the heel of Jesus. And so we have these these parallels. The word revelation simply means unveiling. If there was a curtain in front of the stage here and behind it was the brand new Bronco that's next year's model going to come out and we ripped that curtain down and revealed what was behind it. That's what the unveiling is. And that's why the book of Revelation is not a sealed book. It's not a hard book to understand. It's exactly the opposite in its very meaning because it means the revealing. But listen, the revealing of Jesus Christ. If you guys have an older Bible, it might say it in your Bible heading, the revelation of John the Apostle. But that's wrong. That wasn't put there by the Holy Spirit. That was added later by men and uninspired. Because it's not the revelation of John. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ and who he is. And so, um, and then John, as we know, um, was, was, tradition tells us the author here of the book of Revelation. And then I'll, I'll, I'm honestly done with the intro. Um, but you got to do it right, right? Um, John, he writes the Gospel of John. He writes, what else did he write in the New Testament? Somebody else in the back? 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then he writes the book of Revelation. So when you take it just as a volume, the book of John, 22 chapters, Revelation, 22 chapters, I mean, it's a big volume of, of the New Testament is written by John. And in each one of his writings, he tells us why he writes them. And I think this is important to application as we begin a new study in the book of Revelation. But in the Gospel of John, he says in um, he says that I, I write this so that you might believe right and then in First John um, turn with me if you want to just back one page First John five thirteen and in, and if you're taking notes John chapter twenty verse thirty one is where he writes the Gospel of John so that you might believe he writes epistles of John so that you might know. And it says in verse 13, it says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may, everybody, know. know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So I write to you who believe. He wrote the Gospel of John so that you might believe. Now you believe. Now he writes the epistles of John so that you might know that you're born again. And then he writes the book of Revelation so that you might be ready, that you might be Prepared that that you'll be ready for the things that are going to come to pass, and, and so that's um, a really great progression. And again, as he writes, so that you would know, I want to make sure that everybody in here knows that they're going to heaven. I want to make sure everybody in here knows that they have um, salvation in Jesus Christ. So I'll just ask you: Do you know? You know, you know, only in Christ, only in. Um, evangelical, traditional Christianity is this offer available and true? And it's just true through simple believing in the Word of God being enough. No extra writings. You need no extra writings. All the extra writings, anything you would need to have a relationship with God that doesn't just come right from the Word of God is dangerous in the first place. Anything. But, but I don't care where it is. You find it, you tell me. It doesn't exist. Another belief system where people can know that through what they believe they're going to heaven. It's always a hope so. I think so because they're all works based. And and, and you never can know that you've done enough works. Or you always hope and you can believe you've done enough works. But you cannot know that you know that you know you're going to heaven apart from the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ over your sins. And John says here for us as believers, it's not arrogant for you as a believer to say, I'm going to heaven. When I die, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with Jesus. And I don't care if the world tells you or thinks that that's arrogant of you to make that statement because how could you know? No, I can know. And listen, you should know and you need to know. And I think a very simple test is that if I ask you, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? If your answer is, I think so. If your answer is, I hope so. You could be in trouble. Because your answer needs to be, I know so. I know so. And if you think so, then, then you need to get it right. And it's just simply believing and confessing and, and giving your life to Jesus, surrendering becoming a disciple of Christ and counting the cost. And knowing that there's nothing you can do to add or take away from what Jesus did on the cross. But But to believe. And John said, I write so that you would believe in the Gospels. I write this so that you would know that you've been settled in this faith and that you're a child of God. You know, something the world loves... Matt. Oh man, come on up. I'm done. Um, something the world loves is, is to um, say, oh, we're all the children of God. And, and I don't need to be needlessly offensive. And I'm not trying to be, but I want to tell you, we're not all the children of God. The Bible says very clearly, to those who believe, God has given the privilege of being called the children of God. If you're in here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you're, you're not a child of God. You're not under God's umbrella of, of protection. He loves you. It's not a matter of love. That's a different topic. He cares for you. He has a future for you. He has a future and a hope and He wants to do an amazing thing in your heart and life. But, but we're child of God when we put our faith in Jesus. So let's stand together. We'll, we'll jam through chapter one next week, I promise. And I want to give you an opportunity. If you can't say to me today, Pastor Chris, I know that I'm going to heaven. I'm going to ask you and, and, um, to make it right with God right now. And that's as simply as simple as you saying, Jesus, I want to give you my life. Saying yes to Jesus. Putting your faith in the blood of Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Now discipleship walking with jesus sanctification that's from the point you become a believer to the point you meet jesus and becoming more like him and growing in your faith and doing good works unto righteousness it's a different 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 discussion today's discussion is about the beginning about getting your heart and life right with jesus christ and that is as simple as a a prayer but that prayer has to come from your heart it has to be sincere And you have to mean it by faith as you give your life to Jesus. So i want to lead us in a prayer. So if you'll close your eyes and bow your head. Or open your eyes and raise your hands. I don't care. And if you want to ask Jesus in your heart to be your Lord and Savior, I want to lead you in a prayer. And as we pray these words, the words mean nothing. One of these times I'm going to do this prayer, and I'm just going to say some weird stuff that means nothing. And the magic is still going to happen because the magic is in your heart. It's in you saying yes in your heart to Jesus and really fully surrendering. And if in your, if in your mouth you, you mouth these words, but if in your heart you say, but I, I don't want to give you, God, 100% of my life, I just want to hold back this little piece for myself. You're not ready. You're not ready. You've got to give it all. You've got to give 100%. So let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, one more time, everybody. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. I'm saying yes to you. I fully surrender all of my heart, all of my life. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I understand that means all of my life. Jesus said the cost of discipleship was everything. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose again the third day. And I ask him to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior, forgive me of my sins, and fill me with your Holy Spirit. In your precious name, in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.